Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Four Sundays from today, we will not we will be on the beach in magical St. Simon's Island. And I don't I don't use the word magical lightly. I mean there is something just visiting St. Simon's alone, there's something special about that. But when you add the the energy of a, a Metron meditation, and this is our 15th, um, it, there's, there's always a, a very powerful synergy that takes place. It's our fourth time doing one of these on St. Simon's, and the, the previous three have all been uh, just amazing. So we will, be, we will not be in the theater on August 6th and 7th. We will be in St. Simon's. I've already got a really good group already signed up, have their rooms already. Uh, if you want to go, there's no, there's no fee. I don't charge a fee. If you go to uh, um, Joe Dispenza's Meditation Weekend, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Ours is free. And... Um, I mean, you just get your own room and you you work out your budget with that. But um, uh, all you have to do, if, if if you're not signed up already and you want to be a part of the, because we met we um, communicate on the group message, uh, just scroll up to the cover photo on my Facebook page and all the information is there. Uh, we'll do a sunset meditation on the sixth and a sunrise on Sunday morning, and. Um, it's going to be awesome. Very different from number 14. Number 14 was on Easter weekend, and so we we did a lot of the uh, Christian rites, like uh, communion and water baptism. This this weekend's going to be just meditation, and, and it's going to be powerful. Um, let's do a few affirmations, please, and then we'll do a little bit of breath work, and then I'll get into the Word. Uh, uh, I am blessed. When I point to me, I say it. When I point to you, you say it. I am blessed. I am a blessing. I am. Uh, I am well. I am wellness. I am. I am whole. I am wholeness. I am. I am is the highest affirmation you can make. Um, I am um, free. I am freedom. Will you turn off that TV? Because that lady, her gestures make it distracting me on the <laughs> on the uh, HGTV. She's renovating a house, and I'm like, "What is she doing?" Uh, <laughs> back here, <laughs> uh, I am peaceful. I am peace. I am. Um, I am free. I am freedom. I am beautiful. Uh, give me uh, give me a few breaths. We always come in through the uh, nose, hold it, and then out through the uh, out through the mouth. So let's do that. Uh, and we'll be doing a lot of this in um, St. Simon's. Let's go in. Hold. Exhale. See, I feel. I feel relaxation on the first breath now. I'm, I'm, my body responds to it so quickly. Uh, you probably, those of you that do this a lot, probably same thing. In, 
hold out inhale exhale inhale exhale beautiful as i always say to you the combination of the affirmations and the breath work it's a very powerful uh exercise uh someone asked me recently they they said uh, or they acknowledged they said i'm surprised you refer to the scriptures still as much as you do as sort of evolved as you are um and i said well the reason i do is people haven't even really taught the um uh, New Testament yet. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, Paul said in uh, Hebrews 6, he said, uh, you have to, we have to go back and lay these foundations again. Most, most preaching in the church today, if it, if it is a New Testament reference, it's spoken through an old covenant paradigm. Um, very few people have even gotten the revelation of a third day yet, much less living in the now. So uh, I've probably will always uh, refer to the scriptures as I will today. That's ground zero for me. So uh, before we get into this today, I speak into the atmosphere and I say, let there be light. Um, as I mentioned, uh, we, we came down yesterday, thought we had left Atlanta in, in plenty of time. And um, it's right at a, a four hour drive down here to Dothan. And um, there was a lot of traffic on 85. Three, we had to wait through three different wrecks and then a flash flood warning. And we finally got into Dothan. It was like a monsoon. And uh, the, the way the main thoroughfare is through here, uh, you have to get off on these access roads to get to the hotel. And I was uh, turning too quick, doing the U-turn to get into the hotel. And you know, when you're just looking at that clock, trying to beat the clock, I, I hate I hate driving on a deadline. That's why I, I, told, I called my mom last night. She said, are you bringing dinner uh, tomorrow night? I said, let me see how the day goes. I said, I can't drive on another deadline today. I said, we'll, if I see our time's going to be okay, we'll be there tonight. If not, I'll just bring it tomorrow night. Um, but anyway, when we finally, when we finally got here, I, I, like I went into a, parking lot and I, I can't get there this is we had to get back out on the expressway can't i mean it's raining so hard you can't hardly see uh the hood of the car and finally get into the parking lot and just you know kind of coming in frantically and i could tell the <laughs> the sweet lady who checked me in i could tell i was a lot for her because she just kind of looked I, I was so you know uh trying to get to the room to get cleaned up because we hadn't even taken showers yet and uh, I needed to get dressed and didn't know where the funeral home was. We had to get there. It's one of those things where you're just running out of time and trying to beat the clock. We came up and got ready. When we came back down, I, I apologized to her. I said, ma'am, I apologize for coming in like a bat out of hell, but we were just running late. And I, I didn't, I'm, I'm not familiar with the area and I've, I've got a memorial service to do at 5 p.m. And it was already... Uh, nearly four o'clock. I mean, we had to really book it to make it there, which we did, and it, it was great. And she was so sweet. She said, it's okay. You were just in a dither. <laughs> I said, I don't think anybody's ever said I was in a dither before, but I was. Whatever a dither is, I was in one. 
And uh, we actually even talked to her again. We came back in from the service. And I, I said, I said, thank you for being so understanding about today. And I, I needed to make a couple of other requests. And um, uh, she said, you know what? I understand. And all people really need in life is just to be understood. And I thought, well, there's a, there's a whole teaching in that, sweet lady, at the double tree. But anyway, um, I, I, in my teaching last night, Jeff, um, I, Jeff and I have been friends for about 35 years. And um, when I talked to Carol, which I haven't looked, she may, I don't know if she's watching today or not. I, he usually watched every Sunday. But um, when I talked to her earlier in the week, she said, uh, she said, Jeff specifically said, don't, ask, he called me Jamerl. He said, don't ask Jamerl to uh, preach my funeral because he would hate that. He said, I want you to tell him to come as a friend. I just want him and two other friends to speak and I want them to tell uh, stories about our friendship and they can be funny. What I mean, he really orchestrated the whole thing. And I did have anecdotes. Some of you that have heard the story about um, um, my skiing trip when I went up to the uh, to the Black Diamond Slope. That was that was my friend Jeff that took me on that. We we had I had a lot of anecdotes that I told last night. Some that his wife and kids had never heard. And um, in the teaching, I said something, and I was I was careful how I said it. Uh, I didn't get too specific, but it was it was just the truth, and it needed to be said. I said, "There's um, there's something ab about me that I told publicly in 2010, and it sort of changed my whole life. I lost about 2,500 people out of my church when I told it. But I said I told Jeff that 15 years earlier, and it never he never even it didn't change anything about our friendship. I mean, Jeff was." Um, Jeff was, but when he was single, he was a ladies' man and uh, liked the ladies, and they liked him even more. Uh, and when I told him my full truth as a friend, I, I said, does that change anything about uh, our friendship? And he's like, no, not at all. Why would it? And he totally kept my secret and uh, never acted any differently toward me. And he said, you're... I don't know that he called me his pastor. Uh, he and his wife did used to come to um, Church in the Now some, and I baptized him at Church in the Now. But he didn't really think in those terms that much. He was like, uh, no, you're just the voice in my life. He said, that doesn't, that doesn't change anything about me at all, So about us, our relationship at all. So in, the, in my teaching, I ended it by saying, because when I talked to, Carol this week, uh, she said, Jeff hates being held captive in somebody's funeral when the guy's up there giving an altar call and making everybody try to get saved so they can see the person. She said, he really, really hates that. And I said, well, my theory is I, I believe that uh, whatever your theology is, the, the, the service is supposed to be about the person. It's not supposed to be the person who has passed. It's not supposed to be a, um, an opportunity for a um, for a, a minister to, you know, do his thing. I don't even think like when somebody says, "Will you preach somebody's funeral?" I don't even think you can preach somebody's funeral. You you preach your own funeral by the way that you live your life. 
There's nothing that uh, somebody standing up and preaching can add or take away from that. And that's why I always feel like a, a memorial service or a celebration of life should just be that. It should celebrate that person. I mean, I didn't even, this is unusual, but I didn't even open or close with a scripture last night. I mean, I probably, in my talk, I, I'm sure I referred to some scripture because I, I just sort of do that, you know, without unconsciously. But I know I did end by saying, because I said Jeff was completely non-judgmental, uh, was the uh, uh, embodiment of unconditional love. And um, I said, you know, he, he specifically said he didn't want a sermon preached at his funeral or his service. He used the word funeral. But um, I said, I've been to services where the, the minister would say, if you ever want to see the departed again, you better get saved. And they make it all about trying to get people saved according to the Western modern Christian definition of it, which is not the biblical definition of the Greek word sozo. It's, it's come to mean something different through fundamentalism and evangelicalism. But um, uh, I said, I can just tell you where I'm coming from. Uh, one way or the other, those of you that love Jeff, you will see him again. I said, I don't know how it all happens, but I believe we all came out of God and we all end back up in God. And, um, you know, I can say that here and it's, uh, you know, you're all like, yeah, right. We know that. But you say that in a lot of, uh, settings and that's a highly controversial statement. Like I remember when I still had church of the now, I had just started really teaching, reconciliation, inclusion, and, uh, you know, all of that sort of thing. And we had uh, somebody in the church, their brother passed, and uh, I, we did his service at the church. I never met him, but his, um, his nickname was Pipe. So I'm, I'm assuming Pipe liked to party, and I could tell the way the people who spoke before I got up, the way they spoke, I don't think anybody thought, I think everybody thought Pipe was in hell <laughs> because everything that everybody said before I got up was sort of along the lines of, we can't question God. People make their choices in life and where they end up in eternity, that's on them. And we believe God's a just God. And it was a, a lot of that. It was a lot of justice and i i could just fill in the blank i thought yeah everybody here pretty much thinks pipes in hell so when i got up to speak i said look don't shoot the messenger i'm just telling you from from my understanding of god um i believe to be absent from the bodies be present with the lord and for what how, whatever pipe was that got his nickname that's just who he was and god knew him and God still knows him, and he's with the Lord, and if you loved him, you will see him again. And it got mixed reactions, because when you say that, especially in the Bible Belt, uh, it, you know, it opens up a new neuropath for people they haven't considered. And I don't, you know, if, if people want to argue with me about that, I, I don't have that argument anymore. I already did five schools of the Bible that explained all of that. And I don't want to get into the, is Hitler in heaven argument with you? Because it just, it, it never, that, that discussion never ends well. 
This is what I want to, this is the scripture I want to share because this was on my mind from the service last night, okay? So in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, there's a story about a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was not a Jew. He was not part of the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, he was um, a Gentile I'm thinking I've read that he might have been Italian. I'm not sure. But he was, um, it does say that he was philanthropic. He was a good guy. And um, in the other part of um, Acts chapter 10, it talks about Peter and an entourage of um, uh, ministers with him Um were going to, they ended up going to minister in the house of Cornelius. And this is at a time when um, it was considered unlawful for Jews to even go into Gentiles' homes. And that's where um, God sort of prepares Peter for opening up the gospel to the Gentiles. Because that's where um, they're at a home, this is Acts chapter 10, they're at a home, and uh, someone is preparing dinner for this group of ministers. And Peter goes up to a rooftop terrace, and he takes a nap, and he falls into a sleep. And in the sleep, he has this vision. And in the vision, uh, a sheet comes down out of heaven, and it's filled with uh, unkosher animals. Uh, you know, everything that Moses said was an abomination, like shellfish, shrimp, lobster, uh, pork, all these things that, that were forbidden for Jews to eat. The, the sheet came down out of heaven, and God speaks to him, and he says, um, he says, rise up, kill, and eat these things. Now, if you weren't raised with dietary laws, this may be lost on you. Like the kind of Pentecostalism I was raised in, we never, we never talked about what you ate. As long as you didn't go to movies and women didn't wear pants or makeup or go to dances, uh, you were probably okay. That was, that was the things that our, our church really sort of focused on. But if you were raised like Seventh-day Adventist or Muslim or, um, you know, some of these other uh, groups that really, um, really talk about diet from the Old Testament, that's like a really big deal. And so when, when the voice of God speaks to Peter and he says, rise up, kill and eat these things, the way I've explained it before, I said this would be like a Southern Baptist pastor going into a, a deep sleep and a, a, a sheet coming out of heaven with a woman preacher who was speaking in tongues, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and and God sanctioned it. It's like it was every, everything that this guy is against, God is saying, go for it. And what's really interesting is Peter actually gets religious with God, and he says, no, my my lips will never touch unkosher food. And and the God says to him, the voice says to him, do not call unclean what I have called clean. Now, if you think 
the scriptures are the word of God, this is going to be a very troubling statement. Because if you think the Bible is what God has said, or the scriptures is what God has said, now God is saying, um, uh, don't call unclean what I've called clean. If you think he spoke through Moses, then you, you would have to think, well, you did call that unclean. I mean, all through um, the Mosaic law, there's all about, you know, the animals you can eat with that have certain kind of hooves, cloven hooves, all this, you know, swine flesh, uh, shellfish, all these things, mu much more is said about that than about uh, same-sex relationships or anything, any of that. Like when, when people uh, have ever tried to use the, the A word, abomination, with me, I'm like, yeah, there's 613 abominations according to Moses, and you've committed about 17 of them this morning. So the, the word abomination is not even a, it's not even a New Testament word. But... Um, the reason uh, Peter has this experience is is God's trying to change. He's trying to deliver him from racism and religious Phariseeism. You know, the word Pharisee means separatist. So, if you come from a group that really talks about being a remnant or coming out from the unclean people and we're the, we're the right ones and everybody else is wrong. You're, you're completely moving in an antichrist direction. Everything about the revelation of Christ is about inclusion. It's about bringing God out of the temple and putting him into a tabernacle where everybody's welcome. And, um, and that includes doing away with all the rules that you thought really mattered to God. They never really did matter to God. They were what people thought, and it was the um, the, the separatist, uh, separatist idea. Phariseeism is what creates rules that divide people. So, um, it's important that you read this in um, context. Earlier this week, I I, I wrote a. a meditation, and I referred to, I was talking about the phrase, Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. And um, I said, you know, initially, there were not verses. The verses were put into the Bible in the year 1551. This was about nearly a century before the, King, King James came out in 1611. Those guys started working on it in 1603. But in 1551, there was a, a, a French monk named Robert Etienne, I think was his name, or Estienne. And he, to help people locate where they were in the scriptures, he's the one that added the chapters and verses. They were not in the original text. And they're valuable to us because they help us locate um, passages they also work against the understanding of the scriptures because uh, it's because people think in verses, they don't read the scripture in context. They just take a, a verse out, a, a bullet point that came from this French monk's annotations because he decided this is going to be a verse. And now people think of verses. That's why you see so many trucks on the road that will say John 3.16 on them because that, that's a verse. You, if you don't, you can't understand John three sixteen until you read all of John three, and you can't understand all of John three until you read all of John. Um, I've been talking about context for as long as I can remember, and um, so I'm not 
against the verses, but I also understand they are sometimes counterproductive because they keep us from seeing the full story. I'm saying that to say, um, so chapter 10, Peter wakes up from this um, vision that he has, and he's actually had a paradigm shift. Because if you just looked at, I got it, I've got water, thanks. I got water and coffee, I have so many fluids over here. Hmm. Alkaline water, good for you. Anyway, um, this wasn't about food, it was about stop thinking you're holier than this other group because they don't uh, adhere to your same um, belief system. You know, there's so much going on right now in our country, and I'm not even just talking about abortion. I'm talking about um, same-sex rights. I'm talking about prayer in school, all these things. And I keep seeing people saying, this is a Christian nation and we need to get back to Christianity. It most certainly is not a Christian nation. The, the, the reason the founding fathers, with all of their limitations, many of them ended up being slave owners and that was a whole other thing. But the reason those Europeans came from um, Europe, especially the ones from England, is they were escaping religions, religious intolerance. That was the whole point uh, is they, they were against there being a mandated Church of England. Um, Thomas Jefferson, if you had called him, and he most of our documents, like uh, Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the majority of that was penned by Thomas Jefferson, who was an avowed deist. If you had called him a Christian, he would have, he would have rebuked you. So these men were not against Christianity, but they, their whole idea was, we're Christians because we see Jesus a certain way, but we have a vision of a country where everybody can find God or not find God on their own terms. So that freedom of religion, that's, that is, you know, part of our rights, but freedom of religion is you saying, I can't do this because it's against my religion. It is not saying you can't do this because it's against my religion. Separation of church and state is a holy thing. Um, if when we start getting into a place where there's a theocracy, we're 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 the Taliban. We're like that's that. I I wish people in churches, you know, would just teach us a basic civics course and political science to understand. No, this this country was founded on it not having a national religion. That was basically the whole point. That was the, the impetus for coming here, which is why, like when you go to the Lincoln Memorial and you read all those speeches that are, are uh, inscribed there in the, in the marble, that's why he's, he's speaking so loudly against slavery, because he's like, slavery's bad enough on its own, but here of all places, because we came here with a vision, and yes, you know, they came and took Native Americans' uh, land. There's no question about it. It is what it is. But those who came here who believed in Manifest Destiny, they were say, he, Lincoln's point was, we of all people should be anti-slavery because we, we said we believed that all men were created equal. So, 
Back to context, and all this is, I'm going to sew all these threads together. Just bear with me. Um, so that was Acts chapter 10. Peter has the vision. He has a paradigm shift. Basically, it's not about shrimp and bacon. It's about uh, you need to rethink how you feel towards Gentiles because this superiority that you feel, this... this um, uh, Phariseeism, this separatism, it was, that was not, you know, Jesus' whole deal was, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. That was, it wasn't, uh, there was never any um, division. You can say, well, what about the sheep versus the goats? I'll get to that in just a moment. Anyway, um, let me get the rest of the scripture said. So, you go through chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, you start reading a lot about uh, Paul's journeys. M much of the, the uh, narrative in Acts turns to uh, a biography of Paul. Paul was converted in chapter 9. <clears throat> and um, so when you get to chapter 15, which is really what I want to focus on, in chapter 15, it says there's a, there was a thing that was happening with the apostles who were now going into a lot of these uh, Gentile places like Asia Minor, and they were, you know, they were uh, making Christian converts. And because they were coming from a Jewish mindset, they were preaching that you had to become Jewish first before you could become Christian. Specifically, men had to be circumcised. Now, if you were raised, if you were raised as a Jewish boy, um, you know, Jewish boys were probably circumcised as babies. Uh, they they still are now. If you're Jewish and you, uh, they have a whole ceremony called a bris, where a, a certain type of rabbi who is a moil brings everybody together and they circumcise the male child and. Uh, if you were raised with that consciousness of having, you know, the foreskin of your penis removed, that's not that shocking. But if you're a Gentile and you've never heard of this before, this is, you know, <laughs> these men are preaching up there. They're saying, you know, Jesus came to die for you and he came to save you and you need to cut the end of your penis off. Um, you know, most Gentile men would be like, wait, what? We're totally good with the Jesus stuff, but... Roll that back a little bit. What what exactly do we have to do? And so it became this very controversial thing because for people for for people who were Jewish believers, they believed in Jesus, but they also believed in Moses. Like you can't have Jesus without Moses, and um, the the Mosaic law was very important. So it became sort of an issue in the early church establishment because. These Gentile men were, were like, yeah, we'll we'll follow Jesus, but we're not we're not going to do that. And um, so it became such an issue that in Acts chapter fifteen, they actually held a council where these men all came together. It's one of the few times that Peter and Paul were in the same room together. And um, so they start talking, and they they decide these these um, apostles decide, you know what. I think we just need to totally forget the whole circumcision thing and stop telling these men that they need to be circumcised. We, we believe the message of Jesus is that you just come straight to Jesus. You don't have to go through Moses to get to Jesus. And Peter stands up and he actually makes a reference to what happens happened in Acts chapter 10. 
Because if you read the rest of chapter 10, it says that they finally go to Cornelius's house and they start preaching and everybody in Cornelius's house, they start speaking in tongues and prophesying. And it says Peter and the men who were with him were shocked because they didn't believe that, that Gentiles could be filled with the Holy Spirit. They were just, it says they were totally stupefied by it. But it was a sign to them that their Phariseeism did not come from God. Separate, being separatist, being a remnant, being a chosen people, a called out group, that didn't come from God. God's vision is, is universalism. Uh, in, in the days of fulfillment, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. No longer will they say, know the Lord, for they will all know him from the greatest to the least. And when you go back and read things that Isaiah said, Jeremiah said, they were all universalists. They all were. You can, you can say that's a false doctrine, but, you, but I'm telling you, that's what the scriptures actually teach. And I know, depart from me, he cursed. I know, you know, I mean, I'm familiar with all of that. I, I, we've covered all of those scriptures in the schools of the Bible. Here's my point today. Peter stands up and he says, God showed us, he showed me directly and he showed us that he's no respecter of persons. And he said, I think we should not put any burden on these Christians that we Jews have not been able to bear. He, he said, let's, just, let's be honest. We haven't kept Moses' law either. I mean, the, the men were probably circumcised, but Moses' law, I mean, you know, Moses was given uh, 10 laws on Mount Sinai, by the time you get to the end of um, uh, the Torah, he's come up with 613 laws. Everything from you can't wear blended fabrics, you can't uh, shave the side of your face, uh, just uh, law after law after law after law. And um, that's why in the last 12 years when people have you know, sent me a verse of scripture out of Leviticus, I think, don't, don't try to go Levitical on me. I don't live by Levitical law, and you don't either. You've never met anybody that lives by Levitical law. But um, anyway, so all of them, all, back to Acts chapter 15, all of the men decide, yeah, that's the right thing. Yeah, that's right. We should just say, um, if you weren't born Jewish, you don't have to become Jewish. You can go... Straight to Jesus. Do not, you know, what was it? Monopoly, do not pass go, not collect $200. Just go straight. And then I actually had to go back and read it this morning because I thought, is Peter the one that said that or not? And here's, this is how I make the connection with what happened last night. And I would be careful how I say this because I noticed last night several of Jeff's friends on Facebook followed me on, uh, followed me after last night. So the two men who spoke after me were also friends of Jeff, good guys, and he specifically said, I don't want a sermon, I just want you to tell anecdotes of our friendship. And these men basically did that, uh, and I don't want to make this about me, but I, I noticed in both of their um, wrap-up, they sort of corrected what I had said, because I said, you're all going to see Jeff again. We're all going to be reunited. And they made it a point to say, well, only those who believe. I mean, and I know where they're coming from. They're, they're coming from the you know fundamentalist viewpoint. Not everybody's going to see him. They didn't say this. Hell was never mentioned. But the implication was 
If you don't get right with God, you're not going to see Jeff again. I'm just, and if I'm putting words in their mouth and one of them sees this today and I'm wrong, I will, I will publicly apologize and correct it. And I'm not even uh, casting aspersions on them for saying that. It's like my, many people, when they hear me say something like that, they feel like it's incumbent upon them to set the record straight. Well, not, you know, not everybody's going to heaven, just the, just the Christians are. And people take John 14, 6 out of context where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He was somehow, that has devolved into people thinking, Jesus said, unless you become a Christian, you go to hell. And that is so not what Jesus was talking about. But um, I was thinking about thinking about the scripture last night. Let me. I'm getting to the point. Because... I had to go back and read it this morning. I thought, did Peter stand up and say this next thing or was it somebody else? And if it had been Peter who said it, I would have thought, you know, it, he completely invalidated what happened to him in chapter 10. Here's what, here's what happens in, in uh, Acts chapter 15. All the men get together and they decide, let's do away with the rules. You know, men don't have to be circumcised. You can just say you're a Christian and you're a Christian. But then James... He stands up and he says, I think this is great. Let's let them all in. And, and he even says, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy that says, I will restore the tabernacle of David. Uh, the temple was an enclave. The temple was about, you know, outer walls and inner walls and inner sanctums and a holy place and a holy of holies. And you, it's nearly like, you know, you go through a labyrinth of going to a holier and holier and holier place. And the Holy of Holies got so holy that if a priest went in, they had to tie a rope around his ankle in case it was, it was so holy in there that he died from it. Like he was just smitten by the glory of God and they had to drag his body out. Well, when Jesus dies on the cross, it says that the veil in the temple is is torn from the top to the bottom. It just rips right in two. And so that was symbolic of basically Jesus destroying the temple and setting up a tabernacle. A tabernacle, and I, you know, I was raised in old school Pentecostalism where we had camp meetings. And camp meetings were always in a tabernacle, which was an open air uh, facility facility. And a tabernacle means everything's done in the open. Anybody can walk in here. You don't have to go. You don't have to be screened. You don't have to be processed. Tabernacle, just the very essence of the tabernacle is about openness, inclusion. So James even says this, he says, this is right. Peter, thank you for sharing what you shared. This is a fulfillment of the prophets who said he will restore the tabernacle of David, not the temple not the temple of Solomon, but the tabernacle of David. And then he says, I don't think we should put any burden on these new Christians. Just let them all come in, except, and he comes up with these three rules, which basically is the antithesis of what Peter had seen in chapter 10 in this vision of the unkosher meat and God telling them to eat it. Because he says, let's let them in. It's just, let's tell them um, they can't eat any meat that's offered to idols. Uh, they need to not be sexually impure and not eat any, uh, any uh, flesh 
that's been strangled or still has blood in it. Like, don't eat rare meat. Here's what I found. I don't know what. Oh, that's so funny. Siri is showing me Acts 5. That's so funny. I just said that scripture in, in series, it's Acts fifteen twenty. Instead, we should tell them to abstain, <laughs> not eat any food that is ritually unclean because it has been offered. I, that's so funny. Thank you, Siri, but I'm a solo act. <laughs> How did Siri do that? Siri's helping me preach. God bless you, Siri. <laughs> anyway. I'm not sure I understand. All right, thank you, Siri. I'm good now. Um, anyway, it's it's funny because you would think Peter would have stood up and said, wait a minute, James, did you not hear what I just said? I'm telling you, God spoke to me and said these rules don't mean anything now. And it's so, you know, when something, when religion has been put into your DNA, it's so difficult just to let certain things go. Like when somebody says, are you just telling me you can do anything you want to and still be saved? I'm, I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, that's what Jesus said. That's really what Paul said. Um, now, let, let, me, let me explain this. Um, we're raised in a culture, like I remember, uh, this is part of my generation, who is it used to sing, um, you'll never get to heaven if you break my heart. So be very careful not to make us part. You won't get to heaven if you break my heart. So there's this whole idea that good people do good things and go to heaven and bad people do bad things and go to hell. And I'm don't be shocked. I'm going to say that actually is true. Um, but it's not in the sense of the evangelical fundamentalist heaven and hell. It's like, if you do good things, whether you call this karma or sowing and reaping, good things come to you. If you do bad things, you go to hell, not to a place of torture and eternal torment and sulfur and brimstone and demons, not that. It's called what goes around comes around. It's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew uh, 25 when he says, um, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then he says to the people on his left, which is where all of us left-handed people, you know, we, we got really hammered from this scripture. But um, uh, he says, um, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. Therefore, I send you into uh, the fire. Now, he's not talking about Catholic hell or Pentecostal hell or the ideas of, of, of hell as eternal punishment. He's basically saying, if you're indifferent to the sufferings of people, watch out because the same thing's going to come around and you're going to have to walk through. It's the, it's the word P-U-R, poor where we get purified in the fire. God, there's nowhere in the scripture that he uses fire for punishment. It's always fire for purification. So basically what Jesus said, he's not saying you're going to hell if you don't feed homeless people. He's saying if you're indifferent to the sufferings of people, 
uh, watch out because the same thing can happen to you and you're going to have to basically make your bed and lay in it. That, that's all he's saying. He's not talking about God punishing you for eternity. I think about this nearly every time. There's two different ways I can go to my house. One way that I go, it's very beautiful, and I'm, you know, I'm driving down Peachtree Street, and I'm looking at the skyscrapers, and I can turn right and go to my home. There's another place, if I come down Spring Street to take a left up West Peachtree Place, I have to go under an underpass. And I, I bought that place nearly 20 years ago, and all these years, nobody, this was never an issue, but in the last two or three years, there's quite a few homeless people camped under there. And, and sometimes you go under there and it looks like it looks like you're driving through Calcutta. And I would be lying if I said there aren't days that I drive through there and think, I wish these, I know they don't have any place to go, but please don't camp next to my house. You're, you know, I'm just being honest. You think this is going to affect my property values and this is unsafe and unclean and, you know, uh, but then the same message, I think, I remember um, years ago, um, Ken and I went to a, it was a, a ministry. I, I don't know if Dan Henry's watching this morning, but it was the ministry he was affiliated with. We went, Dan invited us to this thing. And um, I, I, I remember this woman speaking who said, it was, it was about a ministry to the homeless. It was in the, the church building where I preached my first sermon there on the corner of Ponce and Piedmont. And she said, nobody, she was telling me, telling us she was a uh, college graduate, nice job, uh, upscale lifestyle. She said nobody was more um, judgmental or intolerant of homeless people than I was. She said, I would drive by homeless people and I'd say, get a job. Or somebody would say, you know, we'll work for food. She's like, we're all working for food. She said, nobody was more judgmental of the homeless. And she said, then suddenly just this series of events happened in my life. And before I knew it, I found myself sleeping on the street. She said, I'm the last person this would have ever happened to. I had all these financial safety nets and then boom, 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 this, you know, one thing happened, one thing after another. And suddenly I was on the streets. And I, I remember that impacted me a lot. And that's why when I drive through there and I see, I mean, sometimes you drive by and they're urinating on the sidewalk. I'm like, please don't do this next to my house. And then I think, you know, they got no place to go and I don't want to be driving through here, sending some negative message out to the universe that's going to cause, the sheep and the goats are not two different groups of people. They're the same person. The sheep and the goat is both in you. When Jesus said, two men will be lying in a bed, he's not talking about a gay couple. He's saying, one man will be lying in a bed, one will be taken, one will be left. And the one that's taken is the part of you that removed that needs to be removed. That's the part of you that gets burned up in the fire. So every time, I, if I ever think a judgmental thought against the people camped out next to my building, my next thought is, God, help these people, give them a place to stay, because I don't want my own own judgment to come back and get me. And Jesus said, you know, I was, I was homeless and you didn't visit me. And then I have to go into the fire because my own indifference and intolerance sent me to hell. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about a place of eternal punishment. I'm talking about 
judge not lest you be not judged. That's all Jesus was talking about. Jesus clearly said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. I mean, it's not rocket science. Yes, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, have everlasting life. Verse 17, if you read it in context, says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. Not Christians who go to an altar call and are good people. He says, Jesus came to save the world. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So if you say, do bad people go to hell? Yeah, they go to hell. It's the hell of their own making. That's why, you know, well, I, I, this is a, a much lighter way to look at this, but some of you who are parents will understand exactly what I mean by this. You remember, you remember how it was before you had children and if you were in the mall and somebody had some screaming baby or some, you know, some kid having a temper tantrum or out of control, you would look at that, you then think, buddy, when I have kids, I guarantee you that'll never happen. I guarantee you, my kid, if I ever have kids, they're going to toe the line. And then you have kids and there's a, there's a day that you're in the mall and one of them has a meltdown and there's not a thing you can do to rein them in. And suddenly you realize, oh, that's what that parent was going through years ago. That's why when you see people who are going through something, don't add your judgment to what you see because your judgment is going to come back and judge you. I mean, you need to walk through life saying, there but for the grace of God go I. You need to just not judge anybody. Because it's in our, even these sweet guys last night, who I'm sure love Jeff as much as I do, but it was it's so in them to, to sort of correct what I said, we're all going to see Jeff again. They're like, well, the good ones are going to see Jeff. Basically, that's what they, they didn't say that in so many words, but I've been doing this a long time and I knew that's what they were saying. And I'm not even mad at them for saying it. I understand they feel people that come from that background feel like it's their responsibility to make sure that everybody in that place knows you better get right or you or you won't go to the you know, you won't go to heaven. And that's not what the scriptures say. Like I remember Good friend of mine who's a bishop. We're still Facebook friends. We don't really communicate anymore. But I remember years ago, and this is somebody who had confided in me a lot of stuff that, I mean, I, like I know enough stuff about this guy that I could I could really hurt him with if, if I didn't keep things in confidence. Because this is somebody from back in the day that if there is such a thing as the mercy of God, they needed the mercy of God. And I remember when I started really preaching, whether you call it inclusion or ultimate reconciliation or whatever, he took me to lunch and he said, now that you're teaching this, he said, we, we can't be friends anymore. Just so you know, we can't communicate. I, you know, that's my definition of apostasy. And I feel like you've departed the faith. And um, I just can't, I can't have that in my life. I can't associate with you. He said, I love you. It breaks my heart to say this. I pray that you'll get right and no longer be deceived, but I can't be a part of you 
you know, if this is what you teach. And I wanted to say, man, you of all people ought to hope I'm right with all the stuff I know about you. But I said, you know what, it's fine. At that, at that point, so many people had already left, you know, because people, you know, you start messing with their ideas of hell and they freak out on you. And uh, I said, but let me just ask you this. Um, uh, I said, if, if the scripture says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord, then when, when is that going to happen? I mean, what, what is that? Does that, if, if God sends people to hell, does he just, because he's so insecure, he just has to make people say it, even if they don't believe it? And he said, I don't know. It's a question I can't answer. I said, all right. And that was, I don't know, that was many years ago, and we've never discussed it since. And sometimes I see a, a post of his, and I don't judge him. But I think, wow, that's, if anything, it makes me stand by what I believe about God now more than ever. And really, that's, that's what I, um, that's what I took from Jeff, you know, because I told Jeff, gosh, when was it? I mean, like in 1990, 91, somewhere. I told him, I said, I don't ever tell anybody this, and I probably will never, I'll never come out publicly, not, not as long as my dad's alive. Uh, and I, I've rec- rationalized it and believed this is my thorn in the flesh. You know, Paul said he was given a thorn that he might not be highly exalted. And I said, you know, this is, I'm just, this is my cross to bear, and I'm going to, you know, I'll just live out the rest of my life, you know, living another reality, basically play acting, because I think this is what God wants from me. But I told him that, and he was like, okay. And like, we didn't even, it wasn't even a discussion. It wasn't even, he didn't say, what about the Bible? Because it just wasn't even in him to say that. He said, uh, I just hear God speak through you. That's all that, that's all that I know. He said, I, when I hear you talk, I hear God. And that's all that mattered to him. Um, fundamentalism says, no, we need to be separate. We're the good ones, they're the bad ones. So much of uh, what we have as Christianity is really tribalism. And the very fact that there's over 40-something thousand, 40,000-something Christian denominations, that, that fact alone shows you there is something decidedly wrong with fundamentalist, evangelical, literal interpretations of Scripture. The fact that there's only 27 books in the New Testament and over 40,000 denominations, which basically is one group saying the other group is wrong. We're right and you're wrong. We're sheep and you're goats. We're in and you're out. We're included, you're excluded. It's like the Modern Christianity is so, that's why we say Christianity is the worst thing, worst thing that ever happened to Jesus, because it's so the opposite of the message of Jesus. Jesus goes out and chooses these 12 people that I'm telling you, if, it's, if there is truth to the statement, birds of a feather flock together, if you, if you didn't know about Jesus and you said, well, tell me 
Who are the guys that he chose? If you knew the group of men that he chose, you would think, that guy can't be from God. I mean, those, why would he choose those, those guys? And uh, Jesus chose them, uh, didn't try to change them, never judged them, loved them unconditionally. And we can see through the Gospels that many of them didn't really evolve that much. I mean, they were, you know, uh, they were extremely human. To the point that most of them would not be allowed in modern churches. Certainly Jesus wouldn't be. Um, you know, when people say, what does Jesus think about LGBTQ people? He, did, he said a lot of stuff about a lot of things, never said a thing about that at all. It's like it was, it's nearly like people's sex lives were just like a non-issue with him. Like he... No matter what, you know, a sex worker comes and washes his feet with her hair and he says, yeah, I know what she does. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she loved much. You can say, well, but what he meant is she needed to get saved and go to church. Nope, not what he said. That's <laughs> not what he said. Um, Christianity has so devolved away from Jesus that if Jesus walked into most churches today and preached his message, he would be kicked out. He'd be called, you know, a, a libtard, uh, soft on um, crime, soft on sin. He'd be preached against because this man doesn't preach enough against sin. Because go back and read what, Je not what Moses said, what did Jesus said. His sermons were all against the religious. All the, the people that we would consider the wrong people were the people he hung out with. To the religious, he was like, you're whitewashed sepulchers full, full of dead men's bones. I, I, I posted a meme last night. It says, I release myself from every version of me. Something. I release myself from every version of me I created for survival. And basically what he was saying is, you guys aren't even real yourself. This isn't even what you practice. But you you create this, this idea that all that you're righteous and that other people are unrighteous, and he said it's not even true. It's like it's like a beautiful grave on the outside. It's whitewashed. It's a sepulcher that's been, uh, you know, cleaned and flowers put on it. But on the inside is the corruption of death, and um, that's the whole point of the tabernacle. Even when Jesus says you're a city set on a hill. That's an, allu an allusion to the tabernacle. You're, you're a city set on a hill. You're not, you're not in a temple where you're hidden and where you're the secret society and you're us versus them. That's the, the that there's no more antichrist message than that. That is the absolute antithesis of what Jesus came to preach. And when he talked about being thrown into Gehenna or sheep versus goats, Go back and look at what he was saying in context, and you'll see he was never talking separatism. He was saying, even the people who are wrong, you're going to have to go through some stuff because you've, you've put out some bad juju that's going to come back and get you, but it doesn't change the way that I think about you. You're going to have to learn your own lesson, and there's nothing like learning your own lesson uh, that will burn out your judgmentalism. You know, when you've been through some stuff, you're like, that's why even last night 
I didn't even judge those guys who spoke after me because I've been there before. I know what that's like to say, well, like <laughs> back um, years ago when I used to do a lot of street ministry, I was really good at it. I can I can drive through neighborhoods in Midtown Atlanta and I think I've knocked on every one of these doors as far as I can see because I, I did that for years. I preached you know, in the MARTA stations. I preached at, uh, I passed out tracks. I mean, I went through a phase where I wouldn't even go to sleep at night unless I had led somebody in a sinner's prayer. I mean, I was, I mean, evangelical to the max. And I, I really, I knew the, I, you know, I knew the way to get, you know, to work the scriptures and really take them out of context. But sometimes I would speak to somebody and I'd say, Jesus loves you so much. If you'd been the only person in the world, he would have died for you. Um, nothing can ever, uh, Romans 8 says, nothing can separate you from his love. And people be crying. And they said, well, what happens if I don't pray this prayer with you? And I would say, well, he's going to burn you in hell for eternity. <laughs> and even as I said it, my spirit was like, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is a lie. But that's what I had been taught you're supposed to say. So I held the company line, which is why when I heard these guys last night, I'm like, I ain't mad at them. I've been there before. I know what that's like to say, not everybody's going to make it. Like I remember, I've told this before, but uh, I had an aunt who passed away a few years ago. And in their later years, they had, my aunt and uncle had joined, he's, he's gone on now. They had joined a Southern Baptist church. And we went to the funeral, their Baptist pastor preached her funeral. And I could tell the way he was talking about it, he clearly didn't know her because he had no anecdotes of her life at all. But he led us in a sinner's prayer, I th I want to say three times during the uh, during his message, and then once again under the tent at the uh, graveside. His whole thing was, if you're ever going to see Joyce again, you're going to have to receive Jesus as your Savior. Only those who know Jesus will ever see her again. That, that was his whole gig. And when he led us in the fourth prayer, I wanted to walk over to him and say, sir, respectfully, everybody under this tent has prayed this prayer. If we haven't already, before we got here today, we've prayed it three times with you already. So we're, we're saved, you know, like I want to say, just wrap it up. But that's the mentality. It's like, well, you know, people say, well, things are getting so bad in the, in the earth because it's the end times. That's, Jesus never talked about end times. He talked about the end of an age. He said, there are many of you who are standing here who will see this temple destroyed. And sure enough, it did happen in AD 70. It's just, it's just what he said. Not, that's not what you hear preached a lot because you don't hear people really preach the New Testament. And if they do preach it, they preach it with a Pharisee mindset. Where I'm at, in my teaching and have been for years, is like, even if you believe something different from me, my first inclination is, well, where can we find some common ground? My first impulse is, how can I draw a circle around the two of us and let's find something we can agree on? Instead of me automatically saying, I'm one of the good ones, you're one of the bad ones, I'm a separatist, you're, you're, you're not, not one of us, not one of us. Because, you know why? It's because the day star has risen in my heart. And when you really, when you really are filled with the Holy Spirit, 
the spirit of Abba Father cries in you. I, the, the world needs to be reconciled, and it's there's just there's just no judgment in you. And I I don't want to be like James standing up. They had this wonderful thing in Acts 15, and then James stands up and says, "Let's just give them three. We've got to give them three rules. Just three. Let's at least give them three rules." And he puts them back under bondage. Look. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. What about bad behavior? Look, if you do bad stuff, you're going to create hell for yourself. You better be glad goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. But it's not God punishing you. It's you punishing you. It's your, out of the heart of the issues of life, it's your judgmental vibe that's creating hell for you. And until that Phariseeism is burned out of you, you're going to keep going round and round and round Sinai. That's why when I go under the underpass, I'm like, oh, I wish I want these homeless people to find a place. But, and if one of them asks me for food or something, I feed... I feed people and give money all the time because I don't want to get into some judgmental thing. And before I know it, this time next year, I'm under the underpass going, well, I shouldn't have judged you guys because here I am with you. I used to live in that building right there, but, you know, I created hell for myself. So here I am. I don't want to be that guy. So, you know, Jesus says, with the same measure you meet, it is measured back to you. God's not judging you. You're judging you. God's not punishing you. You're punishing you. So you have to, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to change your ways. It's not about going to a place with streets of gold and gates of pearl. It's about creating a good life for yourself because you send out good vibrations, good energy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So the more Christ is revealed in you, the less judgmental you become. And if somebody operates in behavior that's questionable to you, you just have to look at them and say, that's not my, that's not my business. That's not my business. That's, that's their journey. And I'm not going to think that I'm better than them. I'm not going to have to separate from them. I'm not going to be afraid to be seen with them because I'm not ashamed of them. And I felt that last night. You know, we're down here in Dothan, Alabama. We are in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And it would have been easy for um, them not to have included me in their uh, in the service last night because Ken walked in with me. We walked in together. Ken sat beside me. It, it wouldn't be rocket science for people to figure out what I'm talking about. And there was just none, none of that at all because that's not, that wasn't what Jeff was about. He wasn't about being judgmental like that. And so that was, that was my takeaway from last night. Um, all right. Oh, so it's 11-11. Well, our time here. So I need to shut up because we got to get this room packed up and check out of here. Um, I hope you received something from this today. Uh, if you're not signed up for Meditation Weekend number 15, go do it now. Just do it. Just make the decision to go. If you're on the fence about going, just, just, just decide to go. Go ahead and reserve a room, and if something comes up that you can't make it, you can cancel the room. But uh, go ahead and do it. We're gonna, you're going to be 
you're going to regret missing this one. It's going to be amazing. Um, if you want to give to the ministry, go to bishinthenow.com, like short for bishop, B-I-S-H-I-N-T-H-E-N-O-W.com. Uh, Just with a click of a button, you can give to the ministry. And um, uh, if you want to give to me directly, I've got all the cash apps and the messenger goes straight to the, the proper PayPal now. So um, uh, I believe that you've been set free today. I want you to live in the sunshine, walk in the light, walk in freedom, uh, make the most of your life, um, make the most of this day. And uh, I just speak all good stuff to you. All right. Peace. I love you. Bye. Bye.